This week on Extinction Event, the giant moa. This enormous New Zealand bird stood twice as tall as the average man. Lacking any mammalian predators, the moa had lived a pretty carefree life for millions of years. But all that would change when some unusual creatures washed onto the shores of their archipelago paradise. Welcome to Extinction Event, a podcast about extinct and soon-to-be-extinct animals. I'm your host, Melissa Thomas. And I'm Jack, here to comment on the facts that Melissa tells everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the last episode of the first season, oh, Jack. Oh, last episode. Has it been 10 episodes already? Mm-hmm, 10. Wow. Pretty exciting. I Congrats on reaching the end of season one. Yeah, congratulations. Thanks for being here the whole time i after we did the thylacine i didn't think we'd even keep going but (laughs) here we are i'm not sure people know that we kept going (laughs) (laughs) yeah most people most people just were with us for that first episode (laughs) if you've made it this far congratulations yes you deserve i don't know some non-existent merch (laughs) no merch is coming everyone no promises. What was your favorite episode from the first season? I think we should just do a clip show for this one, and we just pick little favorite segments from all the other ones. Oh, just dial it in. That would yeah. have been so nice. And you could just, like, right here, you could cut to, like, a joke. <laughs> like the best jokes. <laughs> all three of the jokes from all <laughs> the rest of the season. Yeah. My favorite episode... I'm going just on animal because I can't really like recall specific jokes and whatnot. Uh, I'm gonna say buffalo because I like buffalo. What about but you? But you know that one didn't really go extinct, so yeah, it totally just said, "What's this show called?" I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite? How do you even have to ask? You know, it. it's the Moa. No, <laughs> this episode. My favorite episode is the thylacine. It's my favorite. So um, you could have, just like all the people who listened, yeah, you could exactly. have been done after the first episode. Exactly. Okay. Oh, uh, but no, we, uh, you know, I learned about some new animals I didn't know about before. I didn't know about the Falkland Islands wolf. That was a fun one. Uh, the Tulechi wallaby. Mm-hmm. World's sexiest wallaby. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I learned a lot. I hope uh, everybody else did, but um. Anyway, we still have one episode. This is like a farewell speech at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> All right. Well, let's um, talk about the moa, the giant moa of New Zealand. Moas were a flightless bird from New Zealand. There were several different species of moa, and those varied in size. Today, we're specifically talking about the biggest one, obviously. Who wants to talk about a medium-sized moa? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and we, we kind of just call that the giant moa. As the name subtly hints at, it was a very large bird. With its neck outstretched, it could reach up to 12 feet in height. So and this is an actual, like, giant actually means very big. Yes. And not like a funny joke when you call a giant, like a big guy, tiny. Yes, they were very big birds. 
12 feet high that, you know, you're standing next to it. Just try to imagine, you know, you're only at the, I don't know, breast. I, I, well, I heard somewhere that that is twice the size of the average. You heard that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, they could weigh over 500 pounds. What? Yeah. Did we ever establish a... <laughs> I w- obviously, I want to say, like, that's half of a Volkswagen Beetle. I look it up almost every episode, and then I forget how much the... In my head, Volkswagen Beetle's 1,200 pounds. Is it really 1,200 pounds? I don't know. Okay. We'll never know. It might be 2,000 pounds. Anyways, 500 pounds, that's a lot of pounds. Mm-hmm. For a bird, that's got to be like 500 kfc buckets (laughs) um our story begins in a very sad time the moa has already gone extinct gasp modern society i guess you'd say first became aware of the existence of moa by the way it's one of those where you don't say moas Mm -hmm. oh moa is the plural i believe so moas moa okay cool you can try that out if you're one of the five remaining survivors <laughs> listening and you want to sound super smart and somebody's randomly talking about the giant moa and they say moas as plural you can correct them now because moa is the proper plural of the, moa, the giant yeah. flightless bird so we first became aware of the existence of the moa roughly around 1840 european naturalists found some bones in new zealand And they'd never really come across bird bones of that size before. So they start asking the local Maori, that's M-A-O-R-I, those are the indigenous people of New Zealand, if they knew anything about these bones. I believe it's Maori. Maori? I I knew I was going to butcher that. (laughs) I don't know. Maori. That's how I've heard it, Maori. That sounds better. Okay. Okay. The Maori did know about the bones. None of them had actually ever seen one in person, but legend had it that the bones came from a creature that resembled a huge rooster, had the face of a man, and lived in a cave on a mountain that was guarded by reptiles. I like how that med- <laughs> legend is like could easily describe a number of cartoon characters on <laughs> cereal boxes. <laughs> A giant rooster with the face of a man who sold sugary puffs. <laughs> I, I like just how specific it is. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Wait, they gave a location in, in caves? What was Not it? a specific location, but that it lived in a cave on a mountain that was guarded by reptiles. Guarded by reptiles is a superfluous detail that sounds, quite frankly, made up. What about that it had the face of a man? That's a little more believable because I've seen some people who could resemble a giant bird. Okay. Yeah. It might have just been a ugly person <laughs> that lived up there. Hermit. This mystery we'll never know. <laughs> anyway. So they knew about it, but they had not seen one in a long time. They keep finding more bones. They start to piece together skeletons of this giant bird. You can Google some of these early reconstructions, and sometimes they would make them larger than they actually were, adding extra vertebrae to the You mean like neck? early yeah. naturalists? Yeah. <laughs> just they like... might have found like three or four skeletons, mm-hmm. and they just kind of combined them into a super skeleton. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> but like, eventually they figure out what it's supposed to look like, and it's still really big. Yeah. 
God, that's got to be like the golden age of being mm-hmm. a naturalist. Was mm-hmm. just you were just winging it. Yep. You're like, yeah, <laughs> this one's got horns. It was basically like a, give a kindergartner a bunch of elbow macaroni and have them piece together something. Like, see, see there, fourteen feet tall, Could you? and it had wings. I named it after me. <laughs> yeah. Every time. I, I guess you did. Good job. I do. I think the guy who was at the forefront of the MOA discoveries named a bunch of different MOA after him. <laughs> All right. So somehow, and no one's really sure why, but they start calling these creatures MOA. And that likely wasn't the name the ancestors of the Maori called it. Mm. Um, Is it like uh, M stands for something? O stands for something? A? No. Um massive ostrich i i think what it stands for moa in polynesian has a lot of different meanings i guess but most commonly it means domestic cock or domestic fowl Mm -hmm. no Um, joke there so i don't know maybe someone one of those europeans got confused and were like yeah that's just a big chicken okay yeah you know anyway they start digging up loads and loads of moa bones and the Maori stories start pouring out. There's even this rumor that the creature might still be hiding up in, in the mountains somewhere. Yes. And slowly things get pieced together and the story of the Moa begins to unfold. Yes. Then, <laughs> And this is that story. So now we're going to go back to the beginning. Uh, just a heads up, many of the specifics with the Moa are still highly debated. Um still figuring it out i mean if this if the history of this thing starts after they're all dead can we just like disclaimer that all of this is just hearsay well it's not they find a lot of stuff in excavation sites as we're about to find out Hmm. and some of that does match up with the stories that they hear from the maori i hope it's the human face part The moa is only found in New Zealand. They believe its ancestor arrived on the isolated oceanic archipelago many millions of years ago, possibly 60 million. It was likely a bird that could fly, but given this new habitat, the species would evolve into its current flightless form, I don't know, probably around 6 million years ago, they think. The moa lived a relatively easy life for a pretty long time. There were no mammalian predators in New Zealand at all to worry about. Their only threat was the Hosts eagle. That's H-A-A-S-T. This was the biggest eagle to have ever existed that we know of. It would have been more than twice as big as the biggest eagle in existence today. You're saying it's bigger than a bald eagle? <laughs> At least twice as big as a bald eagle. Ain't nothing bigger than a bald eagle. Because <laughs> it flies on freedom. Except maybe a golden eagle. I think that might be a little bit bigger than a bald eagle. I, I feel like confidence has to count for something. Yeah. It does. A lot. Just ask the Brits. <laughs> In a little year called... Okay, okay. 1776. I think we all know how that turned out. Go America. Yeah, but you know what? The Brits have better cooking shows. Yeah, they do. God. 
Netflix cooking shows that are set in America are just so hostile. I hate them. I can't. can't Everything. Watch. It's all about drama. It's about backstabbing. It, the judges are overcritical. Mm-hmm. European cooking shows, specifically British cooking shows, it's all about the food. You know. Can we just say it? It's the Great British Baking Show, and it's the most amazing thing on Netflix. Far superior than other baking shows. You know why? It's because you don't win a bunch of money or anything. You just become the star I baker. That. I love that. There's really nothing at stake. It's great. It's you get a platter. You get yeah. that platter. Yeah, you get a like what they do in kindergartens, which is you get a gold star for the day. That's what they're competing for. I love it. Oh, Anyways, God. back to boring. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> back to dead birds. All right, this big eagle... The host's eagle. It was probably so big because it evolved to be able to take down giant moas in particular. That was their main food. Damn. Pretty cool. This is like similar to how the uh, Dodge Ram has evolved to become bigger. (laughs) The haul around Americans. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Take them down to the Walmart. (laughs) Okay. So... uh a larger bird like the giant moa tends to live longer than smaller birds. We aren't positive, but it's estimated that they could have lived to be around 50 years old. They had a fairly small clutch size, meaning they probably only had one or two eggs at a time, and they didn't mate very often. They were herbivores, snacking on various types of vegetation, and of course, reaching those long necks up high into the trees. I got a fun little fact. So I learned something new Uh when I was doing this episode. And so the moa, they swallowed these things called gastroliths. Also, they're known as gizzard stones. And what those are is, is they eat little rocks along with their food. And that helps break down the food as it goes through their gizzards. Because they don't have teeth. Yeah. And it helps in the digestion process. That's cool. I didn't know that. Um, fun fact that you can annoy someone with later. Yeah, when that when that guy says Moa's and you correct him with Moa. I bet you don't even know what a gastrolith is. Then you throw him with hit him some with some gastrolith. That guy's a real gizzard stone, eh? He'll <laughs> <laughs> be the life of the party. <laughs> yeah. Oh right. The Moa were living out these pretty chill, relatively long lives. Their only care in the world was the occasional overhead attack by a host's eagle. Living it up for millions of years on on beautiful New Zealand like this. Now that you've said New Zealand and giant eagles, it's like you have to think about Lord of the Rings. And those eagles were giant, even though they're fake. Yeah, that's like, isn't that the joke about Lord of the Rings is the giant eagles could just come in and... Yeah, they could have just picked up Frodo and dropped him <laughs> off in Mount Doom and saved everyone a lot of trouble. But uh, there's plenty of arguments that say, like, look, it wasn't the Eagles' fight to fight, and they not until you know things were at their worst did they actually have to step in. Yeah. All right, so they're living it up on New Zealand, and then out of nowhere, some weird mammals show up. These mammals are humans. Whoa. Yeah. Polynesians paddle over in canoes from other Pacific islands. And the Moas are like, the fuck? <laughs> They're sitting there being so chill. <laughs> Just chilling. 
being like, I don't see any eagles. Let's just chill. And who comes paddling in? Polynesians. And they're like, who are these guys? (laughs) (laughs) These first Polynesians to reach New Zealand don't really, or we don't think they really start a settlement or anything permanent. If you need some reference, uh, think of the Disney movie Moana. Yeah. Okay. They were explorers. They hopped on their Mm -hmm. ships and just kind of found a new island. And on this island had some giant, super chill birds named Moa. Not to be confused with Moana. It just always makes me think, these Polynesians on these ocean canoes, it's the ancient version of a Trustafarian on one of those permanent vacations. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like a tr- Somebody's got a trust fund that's like always on vacation. Uh-huh. And you're just like, yeah, must be nice. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So the Polynesians show up in New Zealand, but they're not alone. They have stowaways on board the boats, Pacific rats, and those rats do make permanent settlements on New Zealand. (laughs) And the previously predator-free New Zealand now has a predator. I know that you don't really think of rats as predators, but... When you don't have them. (laughs) And now you got them. Now they're predators. Well, yeah, so they're eating the eggs, and also now the rats are eating food that would have been... Moa food. Moa food. Okay. And um, the moa chicks are omnivores in youth, and then they become herbivores. So if um, the rats are eating any small insects and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. They're stealing food out of the mouths of baby moa. Yes. Okay. Very aggressive rat civilization is born. So that's a bummer. Yeah. But it's not like game over or anything for the moa at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Just kind of like, you know. Some new competition. Yeah. The next time Polynesians come to New Zealand, however, they decide to stay. These Polynesians will become the Maori civilization, which still exists today. Also making the journey again are more Pacific rats. They also bring some dogs with them. And this would be late 1200s, early 1300s. The rats intermingle with the earlier rats, expanding their predatory rat civilization. And uh, what did the dogs do, you think? Bring them a newspaper? (laughs) Nothing! The dogs didn't do anything. There's not a whole lot of evidence that they became feral and started preying on the moa, which is what you might have expected me to say. Okay, yeah. I was was thinking, like, yeah, I'm going to get in on this one and zig well she's gonna zag (laughs) but you were zigging and zagging all along yeah these were good doggos they stayed in the camps for the most part um and generally seemed pretty chill also fun fact maori dogs apparently did not bark Uh, that's great yeah good for you dogs way to go Not long after these Polynesians start developing a permanent settlement on New Zealand, they decide to burn a bunch of it down. They eventually burn over 50% of the southern island. This is to clear the land that was formerly very woody and clear it for farming or turn it into grassland. This not only wipes out a large portion of the Moa food supply, but it takes away their natural refuge. In colder weather, they're now exposed to the elements, 
rough winters and starvation are going to hurt the moa population and disrupt the already infrequent breeding mating process. Ouch. But still, the moa are hanging on. Even with all this happening, we know there's still a lot of moa because we've found a lot of moa bones in ancient Maori excavation sites. Some of these are called butchery sites, so that would have been like the garbage dump of the settlement after they were finished. Mm -hmm. Compost pile. Yeah. They've found lots of bones in these sites. In one site, they found evidence of the remains of over 8,500 moas and over 2,000 moa eggs, and that's why historians gave these early Maori the nickname moa hunters. These uh, historians got quite a sense of humor. (laughs) Other bones are mixed in with the piles, things like other birds, including an extinct swan, seals, dogs, rats, fish, and dolphins, which just seemed to, I don't know. Why are you killing dolphins? Yeah. (laughs) You just hate to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So they weren't just hunting and eating moa exclusively. They were eating a lot of stuff. When the Maori arrive in New Zealand, the moa are living in lots of different regions. Uh, The various sizes from small to gigantic occupy those varying habitats all over. Some areas have a lot of moa, some areas less. In the areas that didn't have a lot, the moa aren't going to be as important to the Maori culture. But in the areas where they were plentiful, they were probably a pretty big part of their diet and society. They likely had specialized hunters, maybe even a season. Going to be a big deal. If there's a lot of uh, moa around, your whole world's going to be like kind of centered around this giant bird. Yeah, it's like New York. If you live in New York and there's a lot of pizza places... You're going to get pizza a lot. Yeah. Makes sense. Right. Some of the Maori stories report that moa feathers were highly prized and passed down through generations. It's rumored that a feather from the last surviving moa was used to adorn the hair of dead chiefs during funeral ceremonies. I guess maybe they would like let them borrow it for the ceremony and then need that back. I heard that um, Forrest Gump, you know, that beginning scene. The feather floating around? Yeah. That was a moa. (laughs) Wow. True story. (laughs) They let him borrow it. (laughs) Well, just like your story, these tales can't really be confirmed, obviously. Mm, There was a time when everybody just accepted them as fact, but um, some of those stories have come into question. You should accept that Forrest Gump story. I do. I will. Blindly. Thank you. No reason not to. All right. Yeah, it doesn't look like CG. <laughs> <laughs> this week, Extinction Event is not sponsored by a corporate overlord. <laughs> <laughs> we are donating the final ad of the season to the Wild Bird Fund. That is our local bird rehabilitation center here in NY City. It's actually lo- so the n- locals called New York City. Yes. It's actually located on Manhattan, which you wouldn't think to find a bird rescue place there, but they have a really great one. 
We're giving a shout out to them today because in September we took an injured pigeon squab, that's a little baby pigeon, to the Wild Bird Fund. Jack actually helped me in that rescue. Thank you, Jack. You're welcome. And I was informed this week that they nursed that pigeon back to health and released it along with nine other pigeons into Central Park. Thank you so much, Wild Bird Fund. New York was running dangerously low on pigeons, so (laughs) anything you could do to get one more pigeon out there. If any listeners out there are looking for an organization to donate to, perhaps before the end of the year, please consider the Wild Bird Fund. You can visit them on wildbirdfund.org. That's wildbirdfund, F-U-N-D, dot org to do that and you can also follow them on instagram and twitter i highly suggest following them on one of those and oh yes we also have a twitter but um we do yeah (laughs) what is it we haven't mentioned it in a while it's at extinction pod uh so feel free to check that out as well but don't feel free feel obligated obligated. there's if you've listened to this many just go on there look at it there's some pictures and stuff. There is. We're using guilt now. We posted that that picture of Bluey. There's a picture of Bluey. Yeah. Call your mother. <laughs> Thank you, Wild Bird Fund, for all that you do. So how did the Maori hunt the Moa? Probably- well, it's pretty easy. You hop in your Dodge Ram. <laughs> Get your pet bald eagle, put some buckshot in the old 12-gauge, and get! They probably used snares, spears, or drove them into pits or lakes, possibly with the help of dogs, and also by wringing their necks, I guess, like a really big chicken. Homer (laughs) Simpson style. Yeah. But if you, when you think about it, Maoris might have just been able to walk up to a moa and kill it, like we've heard with a, a few other of the animals on Extinction Event. The moa, for millions of years, had never seen a human and had no reason to consider them a threat. That instinct of fear just didn't exist. And uh, How many times is that their downfall? Too many. I know. So, killing one may not have been all that difficult, but a giant moa was a large bird, so there was the issue of processing and returning the body to your settlement. You gotta drag it. Good thing the Dodge Ram's got plenty of torque. (laughs) Often, in excavation sites, they find evidence of this method where the moa head and neck would be cut off as a unit at the base of the neck, and the feet would get cut off as well, and they'd just sort of get thrown into that garbage heap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then sometimes the body itself was also processed, maybe for skins, feathers, and meat. But by far what we're seeing in these sites most often is evidence of cooking up only the leg bones. In one site, there is even a burnt meat-covered leg bone lying in an oven on basically a barbecue Still with meat on it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Did somebody eat the skin off? (laughs) Are you a skin person? I'm just saying, if somebody came, ate the skin off, and then left the meat, nobody's going to touch that. Yeah. 
it's damaged goods. Uh, yeah. But you, I'm asking, do you eat the skin? I eat the bones. I'm very respectful to the whole bird. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they were definitely eating the moa, and it seemed like a lot of people preferred the drumstick because mm-hmm. they were essentially, it seemed like they were throwing the rest of it away in most cases. Well, that's the best part, the drumstick. Dies and drums. You agree, yeah. Mm-hmm. The drumstick's the best. Uh, okay, a couple years ago I would totally agree with you, but now I'm, I'm, I think I'm on team thigh. There's a lot of good meats there. And I think it's fattier and therefore has more flavor. Okay. Drumstick is classic cartoon chicken <laughs> meat. And I think that's what draws a lot of people, especially uh, when you're younger. And now that I've gotten a little bit older, I'm totally on board with thighs. The reason drumsticks are the best is because they're the easiest to eat. Yes. This is the cartoon element. <laughs> you pick it up with your hand and you chomp onto it like a Viking. So the Maori are hunting the moa, eating the moa, and for a while it probably seemed like they'd never disappear, but in later Maori excavation sites we start seeing fewer and fewer moa bones until we kind of stop seeing them all together around the end of the 1300s. Legends do claim that the moa became rare and were highly prized as trophies because they were harder to find. But so small populations probably were still surviving in remote locations. Regardless, the moa sort of fade away and become legend. And then... What? The Europeans arrive. No. (laughs) Our old friend Captain Cook stops uh, in New Zealand in 1769. The naturalist on the ship notes that they don't find a lot of wildlife there, which is interesting because usually the wildlife disappears after the Europeans arrive, not before. They must have been pissed. (laughs) Show up, ready to extinct something. It already happened. (laughs) Yeah, um, likely. But, uh, you know, that's not going to stop old Captain Cook from unloading a bunch of mammals onto the islands. Some intentional, some not. He gives the Maori pigs and goats and accidentally gives them Norway rats as well, which were stowaways on his ships. Whoops. (laughs) So now there's a bunch of predatory mammals in New Zealand, thanks to Cook. Uh, And over the years, we'll discover that this extincts a whole bunch of native animals, yada, yada. But, you know, whatever. Okay. He might not have got to extinct the moa, but. He's going to be damn sure he extincts whatever else was living naturally on that island. Well, I haven't. We haven't officially gotten to how the okay, moa was okay. extincted. Okay. But uh, but what did happen to the moa? Some people still think the moa is around. There, you know, is that weird cave legend with the face. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, But that's pretty unlikely, since that would mean a flightless bird somehow avoided being seen in a region that's frequented by hunters and hikers all the time uh, for over 500 years. Yeah, I'm going to go no, no on that one. Not around. So that's unlikely, but I don't know. Maybe. Um, Back when we first discovered those moa bones uh, around 1840, some early theories were that it could have been climate change, disease, or basically that they'd become genetically obsolete and their code had 
deteriorated and they'd slowly faded out of existence. But those theories at this point are pretty outdated because they overlooked a big red flag, and that was that predatory mammals were being unloaded onto an island that had no predatory mammals. I thought the big red flag was going to be Nazis. (laughs) Um, The main mammal in this case is humans. Because the Nazis have big red flags. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I was getting to the Nazis. They come after Cook. What did Cook do? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they, they arrive after Cook. Okay. Nowadays, we attribute the extinction to the introduction of mammalian predators. Yes, that includes rats, but mostly it was the humans who were hunting. You know, basically humans kept chomping down on those giant drumsticks until there were no drumsticks left. Yeah, I don't really think when someone asks you to define yourself, you don't really think mammalian predator, but you are. (laughs) Right, yeah. So next time someone asks what you do, you can throw that one out. So So you got the humans killing a bunch of the Moas, but it also didn't help that they burnt down most of New Zealand after they arrived, totally wreaking havoc on the Moa habitat. Yeah. Burning your house down usually doesn't help. The giant moa extinction probably happened very fast, less than 100 years. That's basically two moa life cycles, you know, two generations of moa. And this was interesting to me, thinking about how it actually happened, is the giant moa is what they call a K species. A K species is typically a larger animal that doesn't produce a lot of offspring, like an elephant. So during a case species extinction, you might not notice the decline right away. Everything seems to be stable, then there's a slight decline, and then all of a sudden, the species is just gone. For the moa, because their eggs were easy targets, both by rats and humans, most of the squabs aren't going to reach adulthood. So then the older moa, who had a longer lifespan, possibly up to 50 years, they eventually die of old age, and with no young to replace them, the species is effectively done. It's real quick. So Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, no. That totally makes sense. It's like they're having their legs cut out from under them. <laughs> and, well, like, here's, it looks like there's a bunch of them, but you don't see that there's no one coming to replace them. Right. And then suddenly, once that older generation's gone, whoop, everybody's gone. Yeah, exactly. I'd never really thought about that before, and um, it it was just interesting to me. So we think the giant moa went extinct by the end of the 1300s. Other moa likely survived longer. The upland moa probably survived the longest sometime into the mid-1400s, hiding out up in the mountains. So there's that. What is also crazy is that once the giant moa go extinct, so does the host's eagle, because that was their food. And once that's gone, so are they. Pretty crazy. Yeah, dominoes. Yeah. Also, we used to think the moa was most closely related to a cassowary. That seems to make sense. You know, it's a big bird, flightless. But same region. Yeah, but recently we've discovered that its closest cousin is a small South American bird that can fly. 
What? Crazy. Okay. That's what happens when you get on those uh, remote archipelagos with no predators. You never know who you're related to. That's the other lesson <laughs> of this podcast. Well, thanks for playing Giant Moa. I wish you had uh, maybe been more sexually active. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that w- I mean, crazy, crazy bird. I wish I could have seen one of those. Yeah, it would have been a cool thing to see. And it's just like puts to shame those drumsticks that they serve at medieval times. Oh, it, if we still had Moa's around today, Renaissance fairs? Forget about yeah. it. Yeah. Could you imagine the food trucks based around Moa's? Jeez. Give me some Moa. That's my food truck for Moa. My fried Moa's drumsticks. All right. This week, I'm bringing back the news nook. New Zealand actually announced a while back that it was going to get rid of all the introduced predators. I guess that's excluding humans in this case. (laughs) But they are trying to get rid of the rats. The introduced predators continue to wreak havoc on the native wildlife there, and they want to restore New Zealand as a predator-free archipelago by 2050. How successful is any civilization ever been with getting rid of rats my guess not very yeah i don't know how they're gonna do it good luck good luck to new zealand that's a big boost for the exterminator industry though isn't it the end of the exterminator industry there's always something to exterminate have you learned nothing (laughs) (laughs) last week We said that to commemorate our last episode of season one, we were going to tally up who was responsible for each extinction. So we did that. Jack, would you like to do the honors? I would. It's the end of season one. This is episode 10. We're going to tally up who killed what when it comes to extinct animals and why. First up is the thylacines, exterminated by Europeans, and this was mainly by hunting. Next up, passenger pigeons. This was good old Americans, and we killed them hunting again for food and for sport. Next up, giant ground sloth. We're just going to throw this one out right out the window because who knows how those guys died. Maybe it was climate change. Maybe it was humans. Who knows? The next, giant pinta tortoise. This was the European sailors. Yep, they came by and I guess you could say hunted as much as... You could hunt a turtle, which is just go over and pick it up (laughs) and would eat them. But they also introduced goats that ruined their habitat. So we're going to chalk that up to habitat loss as well. The Falkland Islands wolf. This was a joint effort between Europeans and Americans who all came together uh, to hunt them so that they could have somewhere to farm. Then there's the American buffalo. Once again, this is a good old American effort. And this is all about hunting, baby. Get out those buffalo rifles and see how many could shoot until they're all gone. Or were they? Well, they were using them for industrial reasons and later. Oh, yeah. They made a couple belts out of them for whatever. 
Stellar Sea Cow. The Russians step in for this one, and they hunted those sea cows for food until there weren't no more. The Mamo in Hawaii. This is a joint effort between Europeans and Americans. Mamos got wiped out 100% due to the habitat destruction, which were introduced by these Americans and Europeans that introduced disease and invasive species. Then there's the Tulache Wallaby. Tulachi. Tulachi Wallabies. And this was the Europeans who came in and hunted them so that they can establish farming. And finally, the giant moa. We can blame the Maori for this. They hunted them for food and also burned down their house, ruining their habitat. Melissa, hit them with the final tally. Final tally coming uh, tie. We have a tie for third. The Maori and the Russians both get one point each. In second place, we have the Americans with four extinctions, which is kind of a for a young country, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, but it just it sucks. I mean, I guess we got to get used to not being number one anymore. But mm. <laughs> um, that leaves the final winner of season one, first place, coming in with five total extinctions, the Europeans. Congratulations, guys! <laughs> Good job. You did it. Five extinctions. Wow. That is impressive. You hunted, you gathered pelts, you you destroyed habitats, (laughs) you set up farms, you did it. (laughs) Good job, man. Um, We ought to send them something. If you see a European, you can pat them on the back and say, hey, here's five animals we'll never see again. (laughs) I mean, some of those were a collaborative effort. Sure. Uh, very impressive. Well, good, good job. Um, well, maybe um, season two. I'm hoping the Americans can move on up to first place. What do you think? If anyone can do it, we can. Yeah, I think we can do it. Well, thanks for a great first season, everyone, and thanks for joining me here, Jack, and making uh, the material not so boring. I'm glad I could casually observe on all of your research (laughs) we are taking a short break before season two but we already have some great animals lined up for season two so hold tight and uh, we will be back soon thanks everyone and to finish it as always at the end of the season melissa is going to sing a song it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. That's it, everybody. Thank you. See you next season. Please turn off the podcast now. A Peg Leg Deer production.